Good morning. I wanted to start by uh, thanking you. I, I know uh, some of you were praying uh, for me and for my family while I was away uh, in India. Got back a week ago, and uh, it was a great, thrilling, brief uh, ride. Uh, it, uh, it, it, I think it was very uh, successful, but it was also a real eye-opener to, to go to the Ganges and, the, and Varanasi, the spiritual center of Hinduism, and realize you know, when you hear these messages referring to the reality of Satan and demons and so forth, you kind of water over a duck's back very often, and you're in a situation like that, and you realize that you're surrounded by demons, and people are praying to them and calling them down and invoking them with bells, and uh, I'm not sure I should be here right now, just thinking about it, uh, and, uh, and that Christians are being persecuted, you know, should we, questions are raised like, should we be baptized and profess faith publicly? Because most of us don't. Wow. Okay, a guy from California is going to answer that one. <laughs> you know? uh, anyway, it, it, was, it was a real uh, eye-opener. I learned a lot. Probably learned, I'm sure I learned more than they did. But anyway, um, appreciated the, the trip. Now, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be ordinary. How to be ordinary. There aren't a lot of bestsellers out there telling you how to be ordinary, and, uh, uh, but it may become the new radical. <laughs> I hear a lot of people talking about ordinary, that I, you know, being ordinary. I think, I think that we're all kind of on the same wavelength. Uh, maybe a lot of us are being burned out at the same time with all these calls to be radical this, radical that. Uh, think of think of the term, terms that have just become uh, part and parcel of our vocabulary. Epic, not just good, but epic. <laughs> revolutionary, not reforming, but a revolution. Uh, every you say you want a revolution. Impactful. That I like that one. That's a brand new word that never should have been created. <laughs> Impactful. Uh, like a tooth, but uh, <laughs> life-changing, life-changing, you know, change your world, the call to change your world. There are, are a number of you who are called to change diapers right now, and you're being told to change the world. How exactly do I do that? That's uh, one of the things we'll be talking about here. Ultimate, ultimate, not heaven, but things happening on earth. Our ultimate, extreme, awesome, emergent, one of my favorites, emergent, emergent, uh, seems to be whatever is emerging, um, as opposed to dying. Alternative, alternative, you know how alternative music has become mainstream, Um, and innovative, there's a good one, innovative. Novel, just novelty. It's new. I have to have it. Why do you have to have it? Because it's new. Uh, everyone else has it. It's out there. On the edge. You've got to live on the edge. Yeah. Gotta li- exactly. Got to live on the edge. Uh, it's amazing. It's like, what does that even mean? Um, the next big thing. There, there's, there's a huge phrase that's used again and again. The next big thing. What's the next big thing? Uh, 
Uh, explosive breakthrough. <laughs> Which happens when you're on the edge. Um, but you're expecting, you know, you're expecting... It's the sort of thing you hear when people talk about you know, how was that, that wonderful, since you really hate each other most of the time, uh, uh, what about that wonderful trip that you and your wife took? Uh, the sandals vacation. How, what, was, what was that like? And then they had the, they had the guru there talking, talking about uh, uh, wonderful things in marriage. And, and you, you say, I had an explosive breakthrough. It was an explosive breakthrough. It was impactful. And you haven't spoken to each other since you returned. See, ordinary has to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary. You, you, nobody here wants to have a bumper sticker that says, my child is an ordinary student at elementary, <laughs> bubbling brook elementary school or whatever. We don't want to be ordinary. Ordinary is a negative word. We don't want to be ordinary people living ordinary lives in ordinary neighborhoods with ordinary friends in an ordinary church receiving extraordinary gifts through God's ordinary means. Uh, our life has to count. And so we like to be with people whose lives are really counting, whose lives matter. I hear that too all the time. You know, uh, I really want my life to matter. Well, let's euthanize you now. Because I don't, I don't see the White House in your future. I mean, what is it? For my life to matter. Seriously, for my life to matter. What about, uh, for those of you who are raising kids, you know, you, you've uh, blown it a bunch of times, but you're, you're raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, a dynasty of faith, and you watch them come to faith in Christ and make a profession of faith, what do you mean your life has to count? What, that, that, that counts forever. Ordinary is wonderful. You don't have to live up to your Facebook profile. Um, it's one of the newer versions of salvation by works. Everybody, I don't, you know, I don't want any restrictions. I don't want any rules. I want to live life my way. But they're not living life their way. Facebook has told them how to live. Facebook is is giving them the tools to create themselves. Uh, we're being defined by the culture. We think we're choosing ourselves and our identity, but we're really not. It's chosen for us. Uh, but I, as I say, I think there's a growing restlessness with restlessness. Uh, one of my favorite uh, satirical uh, sources of news is The Onion. And those of you who know The Onion know how much they like to poke fun out of... Uh, 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 at, uh, make fun of uh, fads. And here's, here's one. Camden, Maine. Longtime acquaintances confirmed to reporters this week that local man Michael Husmer, an, an unambitious 29-year-old loser who leads an enjoyable and fulfilling life, still lives in his hometown and has no desire to leave. Claiming that the aimless slouch has never resided more than two hours from his parents and still hangs out with friends from high school, sources close to Husmer reported that the man who has meaningful, lasting personal relationships and a healthy work-life balance is an unmotivated washout who's perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life. Quote, I've known Mike 
my whole life. And he's a good guy, but it's pretty pathetic that he's still living on the same street he grew up on and experiencing a deep sense of personal satisfaction. Childhood friend David Gorman said of the unaspiring, completely gratified do-nothing, quote, as soon as Mike graduated from college, he moved back home and started working at a local insurance firm. Now he's nearly 30 years old, living in the exact same town he was born in, working at the same small-time job, and is extremely contented in all aspects of his home and professional lives. It's really sad. (laughs) Additionally, pointing to the intimate, enduring connections he's developed with his wife, his parents, siblings, neighbors, sources reported that Husmer's life is pretty humiliating on multiple levels. Husmer's ordinary life is debt-free, and he's perfectly content to stay put while many of his high school friends go off to the bright lights in big cities. He doesn't care about impressing total strangers every day as he climbs the corporate ladder when he can invest in the lives of those closest to him. He doesn't have a thousand friends on Facebook, just a close family and circle of friends in town. Quote, I'm just glad I got out of there and didn't end up like Mike, said Husmer's cousin, Emery Martin, 33, an attorney at a large law firm who hasn't seen Husmer, her closest childhood playmate, for nearly six years. Quote, the last thing I'd ever want... is to have a loving family nearby feeling a sense of pleasure when reflecting on my life and be the big failure that everyone runs into when they visit home once a year for the holidays. You see, our mobile, very individualistic culture is really into this whole idea of social and even ecclesiastical anonymity. And I think that's why the, you know, the, the larger the church, the better for, uh, for, uh, for that, at least, because uh, you, you can be anonymous. And uh, it makes it possible for people to leave places where they are really tied together, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the ill, but really close relationships, people who know you, church, home, extended family, people you went to school with, People who know you inside and out, many of whom would understand what you're going through when you're in a time of trial or difficulty, but, but to leave, to uproot from all of that, there's so much pressure to do that, to uproot from all of that and go to the bright lights in big city where you can reinvent yourself. Nobody knows who you are. You can start over. You can start from scratch. And I'm not against leaving where you grew up and going to the bright lights in big city. I'm not making that point at all. I'm just saying there's a lot of pressure to uproot constantly, whether it's in church or it's in families or it's in uh, uh, you know, extended relationships. Uh, it's very difficult for us to find uh, uh, people in our lives we don't turn into supporting actors in our life movie. Even the Lego company piled on with a blockbuster 2014 film uh, that parodies the culture of corporate hype, of which it's a part. That's a new thing now, according to the New Yorker review of this. This is a new thing to make movies that basically are commercials for a particular product and then to mock that to make fun of that, uh, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek. And so here we have uh, this review of the Lego movie. It's about a Lego minifigure, and I saw it, by the way, so I'm not just 
you know, going on here today. Uh, it's about a Lego minifigure named Emmett whose empty mind has been filled with a blind devotion to an indifferent commercial empire. Thanks to the evil mastermind known as President Business and later Lord Business, Emmett watches the same stupid TV shows and listens to the same insipid pop songs over and over again. Everything is awesome. And if you saw the movie, it's really hard to get that out of your head. That, that really silly ditty, everything is awesome. See, there's the hype again. Everything is awesome. If everything is awesome, then nothing is awesome. Right? You've got to have ordinary in order to have awesome. You know, not just Christianity, that's sort of yin, yang, and all sorts of things that you could uh, appeal to for that. But here's the great, at the end of the movie, slash infomercial, Emmett appeals to Lord Business, quote, you don't have to be the bad guy. How many of you have seen the movie? Okay, you remember that part? This is the part where you need to cry. They, you, you're supposed to cry, and if you can't, then you don't really, uh, aren't really plugged in. Um, you don't have to be the bad guy. You are the most talented, most interesting, most extraordinary person in the universe. And so is everybody. This is why kids all get the trophy. I'm sorry. It, it just, uh, people may attack me, uh, uh, but it, yeah. how does every kid get a trophy? <laughs> how? Uh, it's a game. You know, people are supposed to lose in a game. No, they, everybody has to be awesome. Everybody's extraordinary. Everybody's wonderful. And so nothing is actually amazing in our world anymore. It's all hype. Amazingly, in this situation, you can't even have the extraordinary anymore. If a sunset has to be meta-celestial, you know... Then why, what's the purpose, what's the, the, the glory of a, of a particularly good one? A lot of people in the church have heard this hype too. One thing after another. I mean, I, I went through this stuff. I know a lot of you here did as well. Uh, I won't go through the whole um, recovery system. But I went, I, I, you know, basically anything that was out there, I was like, <laughs> moth to a flame. And I went through the period of, let's see, there was the shepherding movement, there was the charismatic movement, there was the Jesus people, uh, did a little Calvary Chapel, uh, then I did a little bit of, uh, didn't stay with things for long, um, did uh, Christian, la- uh, Christian right and the Christian left, and then by the time the church growth movement came along, I was a little jaded. So, the, the, you know, the ni- late 80s, early 90s, I was beginning to say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm tired. And I think a lot of people are doing that now in the church. And see, what happened was you had the boomers who wanted the church to be the parks and recreation center for, for boomers, uh, where basically God was there to fan them and peel their grapes and, you know, make sure they were happy all the time. And then their children, if the, whoever came back to church in the younger generations, 
they were more altruistic. They said, no, it's not about me all the time. How can I have my best life now? It's about how we can make the world the best place now. And, and so let's get out of our shell and that your, the hypocrisy of your consumerism, and let's get out there and let's help people. And that's wonderful too, but, or that's better, let me put it this way, that's a better, more altruistic course than boomer consumerism. But the problem with both of those is that we're at the center of the universe, never able to be recipients because we're too busily engaged in changing either ourselves or our world. We don't really know what that means. And in the process of our frenetic activity, we are actually losing time, losing opportunities to invest in the things that really matter over the long haul. I mean, one thing I'd love, to, love for you to do is, if you, have, you know, just, just an exercise right now. Uh, go ahead and uh, throw out the things that are quick and easy. Go ahead. Huh? Popcorn? <laughs> okay. All right, Angela, we're going to make popcorn. Okay. Any others? Texting. What else? Or microwave popcorn. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wiki everything, which means fast, Hawaiian for fast. And the emergent folks, by the way, love to, to use that. They say, uh, that's what you, the emergent churches are all about right now. Uh, everything has to be quick and easy, quick, and we're always changing, we're always rebooting. You know, Christianity is always rebooting. I'm going to just throw this, this out there. My kids, sorry, my, my daughter will have to, uh, 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 what? Chide me later. But it's, no, you know, it's normal. It's, it's not anything specifically uh, about, about my children. But when they were like uh, six and seven, we'd go fishing, and they wouldn't leave the line in the water long enough to catch a living thing. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they're, they're just, you just put it, I, I put it in, actually. <laughs> and now I can't fish at all because I'm dealing with that. They're putting, and of course, they're getting it snagged because they're pulling up every 10 seconds. And Seriously, they're not, they, they've got you. They know it. They know what you're doing right now. They're not going to bite on your hook. Or planting strawberries. My favorite was one time, when they were, again, little uh, Lisa had them planting strawberries, and they were all fascinated, absolutely fascinated, riveted on horticulture for two full hours. <laughs> and when they didn't see the strawberries appear in that time, 
they never return to it again. Now, we don't blame kids for being children. But if adults have the characteristics of childishness, historically, we've said, grow up. But we don't say that anymore. In our culture, especially when you think of shock jock radio and and television, many attributes that we admired in the older generations are no longer there. And it's the impulsivity of childhood that we see played out even with more mature members of society, even with leaders in our, on the national stage. Anything quick, anything else here quick and easy? Okay. What about in, in terms of relationships? What? Yeah, internet day? Okay. Okay. Got that kind of in there. What's that? Speed dating? Is that like dating while you take a drug? Or oh. All right, speed dating. I don't, I don't define. Um. All right. We kind of get the idea. What about difficult uh, and and uh, long term things? Seminary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's just put education. <laughs> Glad I didn't put arduous up there. Education. Reading. Okay. Engaging in conversation? Yep. Oh, wow, yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. Sorry, honey, that wasn't... Okay, in conversation, thoughtful arguments... All right. What's that? Mm-hmm. Instead of fast food, food actually cooking. Okay. Okay. So basically, what you're saying is to make friends. To create a sphere of hospitality, to invest in regular Bible reading and prayer, uh, to to write letters and not just text, uh, certainly in marriage and and parenting, uh, these things are difficult and they're long-term. Now, let me ask you this. If you had to choose between these activities and the fruit they produce, and these activities and the fruit they produce, which would you pick? This one? 
Even though it's difficult and long-term, takes a lot of investment. Yeah, see, that's, this, is, this is the thing. This is the thing that our heart wants. It's, it's the thing. We, we, we want the depth of commitment. Here's the thing. We, we want freedom without responsibility. We want the fruit of this without the work of this. We want this if we can get it this way. And you can't. That's the, that's the problem that folks are just going to run into if they haven't already. They're not getting satisfaction in life. And part of it is because they, they are really, their heart is attuned to this, longing for this, but they can't give up their autonomy. And they can't give up their, quote-unquote, freedom in order to actually be, belong to something and someone and some body that is larger than themselves. But as I say, people are getting burned out on this. There's one example, Tish Harrison Warren. I found her article and then uh, asked her if she would come on the White Horse Inn. And it was a really interesting uh, discussion. But here's what she said in that article that caught my attention. I was raised in a wealthy evangelical church sporting what would Jesus do bracelets? And I said, I began to, and I began to yearn for something more than a comfortable Christianity focused on saving souls and being generally respectable Republican Texans. Okay, so turning away from the boomer thing, she now wanted to invest her life in helping the poor and so forth. I was nearly 22 years old and had just returned to my college town from a part of Africa that had missed the last three centuries. As I walked to church in my weathered, worn-in Chacos, I bumped into our new associate pastor and introduced myself. He smiled warmly and said, Oh, you, I've heard about you. You're the radical who wants to give your life away for Jesus. It was meant as a compliment, and I took it as one, but it also felt like a lot of pressure because in a new way, I was torturously uncertain about what being a radical and living for Jesus was supposed to mean for me. Here I was, back in America, needing a job and health insurance, toying with dating this law student intellectual who wasn't all that radical, and unsure about how to be faithful to Jesus in an ordinary life. I'm not sure I even knew if that was possible. I entered college restless with questions and spent my 20s reading Marx and St. Francis, being discipled in the work of Rich Mullins, Ron Sider, and Tony Campolo, learning about new monasticism, though it wasn't named that yet, and falling in love with Peter Morin and Dorothy Day. My senior year of college, I invited everyone at our big student evangelical gathering to join me in protesting the School of the Americas. After spending time in various scandalously radical Christian communities, I began to wonder if ordinary life was even possible. Now I'm 30-something, two kids, living a more or less ordinary life, And what I'm slowly realizing is that for me, being in the house all day with a baby and a two-year-old is a lot more scary and a lot harder than being in a war-torn African village. What I need courage for is the ordinary, the the daily, everydayness of life. Caring for a homeless kid is a lot more thrilling to me than listening well to the people in my home. Giving away clothes and seeking out edgy Christian communities requires less of me 
than being kind to my husband on an average Wednesday morning or calling my mother back when I don't feel like it. Writer Rod Dreher expresses some of these same uh, views in, in a book that he wrote, uh, The Little Way of Ruth Lemming, about his uh, sister who died of cancer. And uh, Dreher says, Every dayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in, the, in wartime. Or if a hurricane blows through. Or if you spend a month in Paris. Or if your guy wins the election. Or if you won the lottery or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. And so it's easy for other people to become props for our own movie set. It's easy for us to treat the poor, capital T, capital P, as instruments of our self-validation and self-justification rather than deal with those who actually do need something from us, in front of us, every day. God brings them across our path. Sometimes he brings us... Brings them across our path from not very far away down the hall. Sometimes, in other cases, uh, it means slow down and talk to the homeless person. Find out what, where that homeless person is getting his or her daily bread and helping this person find it. Slowing down. I'm, I'm by, by the way, I'm talking about these things because I have attained them. And I can tell you how to do these things. I'm being totally sarcastic, and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed at all of you for your pseudo-Calvinism. Uh, everything I'm saying right now, I'm saying as a hypocrite. Everything I'm saying right now, I'm saying as someone who is trying and constantly failing to do what I'm talking about. It's so much easier to uh, say, oh, the big, the radical things. They're, they're often the things that take us away from the really hard investments that are more radical, actually, both in their investment and in their, their uh, payout. Although I was just told in India, you know, only Americans use those terms. It's amazing how you guys use those terms, investment, payout, and so forth, in, in talking about spiritual things. Anyway... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, again, hypocrite. Um, that, that uh, you know, you look at Orange County, California as an example here. And I'll, I'll uh, th- oh, wow, I will definitely finish with this. Um, using the Crystal C- Cathedral as a prism, an article by Jim Hinch in the American Scholar observes that none of the trend-setting megachurches in Orange County is growing today. None of them. Rob Bell, author of Love Wins, now calls Orange County home, but says he surfs instead of going to church. He says, evangelicals are good at whipping people up into a frenzy. But then you're like, what was that? The rapid growth in the county, in Orange County, now lies with the largest Buddhist temple in the world. And the rapidly growing Islamic society of Orange County. And so now, recoiling from McMansion churches, as he calls them, many younger evangelicals, he says, are forming loose networks of spiritual communities. In other words, just online chat rooms. 
He says, in other words, the future of the evangelical church as glimpsed from Orange County might be no church at all. And so, you know, at at some point you want to say, you know, marriage, get rid of marriage, get rid of church, get rid of anything that requires commitment, submission. Ooh, wow, that's a very un-American word, very unemergent word. You can't reboot the church, as the emergent people keep saying. Let's just reboot things. We need to reboot Christianity, a new kind of Christianity. Turns out to be an old kind of liberalism. Uh, you know, but, but investment means submission. Submission to people who know how to make a good wine if you want to become a winemaker. Who know how to play the music if you want to become a musician. Submitting to that discipline is what makes us disciples of Christ. And we do that not only by submitting to our pastors and elders and deacons, but submitting to one another, uh, each of us, recognizing there are people in our midst who know more or are wiser than we are. And that's why Paul said, let the older teach the younger. And all sorts of things that we're just throwing out the window because we want this without that. We want the fruit of this without the work and the investment that it takes. Now, that's a pretty lousy way to set things up, ending with a negative point. But uh, next week, I'll focus on what it really means to not endure, but to, to really live a fruitful li- life that is ordinary, uh, and how that is different from mediocrity and uh, a, a, a settling for the comfortable. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, it is... It is not only a source that we turn to in times of trouble, but it's something we invest in over our lifetime, day by day, week by week, because we know even when we don't feel like it, that even when we feel the lure of something different, even when we feel bored by the ordinary, that is precisely the site where you are making all things new, the means that you're using to usher in your kingdom. Help us, Father, to be open to more of the ordinary that we rush by in our search for the things that are more exciting. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.